Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Hi there everybody. Some of you will know that I have recently been away on holiday and because I've only been home just over a week, I'm still living in kind of a post-holiday blues state. You know what it's like when you've returned from holiday, you're constantly remembering the better weather, the new experiences, looking back at your photos, wishing that you were back there. It's always a bit of a flat emotion. Joe and I were in Sydney for a week with our daughter and our son-in-law who live over there. While we were in Sydney, we did a few things that I particularly enjoyed. Joe said it was kind of my holiday. Firstly, we went and watched the New Zealand Warriors play the Parramatta Eels at Combank Stadium. And as some of you know, the Warriors gave the Eels a hiding in that game. This is the NRL, if you didn't know. Rugby League. (laughs) Who knew there were so many Warriors supporters that live around that area? Once the tries started coming for the Warriors, the fans got going. As did I. It kind of went nuts. Parramatta fans, not so much. The next day, we were with a very different crowd as we attended the Sydney Symphony Orchestra playing Tchaikovsky's ballet music live at the Sydney Opera House. I mean, it was outstanding. At the end, there was a a standing ovation. A little bit more reserved than a rugby league crowd. And then a few days later, we attended State of Origin 3, the annual battle between Queensland and New South Wales. Rugby league again, big sport in Sydney. It was a best of three series and Queensland was already up two to zip, so New South Wales was playing for pride. 75,000 people in the stadium, mostly wearing blue. And when they started giving Queensland a bit of a hiding, the crowd went ballistic. Things flying everywhere, people jumping around, Australians going crazy. (laughs) I guess most of you have been at events when people are going off, cheering and clapping. People get emotion whether it be at sports or at an arts event or even the kiss at a wedding. We clap, we cheer, we show emotion. As Paul continues his letter to the church in Rome, we come to a section in chapter 8, verses 14 to 17, where I get the sense that he's trying to stir up a bit of emotion. Having spent the earlier chapters spelling out the good news of the gospel, salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ for all people, Paul has moved into a space where he's more focused on spelling out the fruit of good discipleship, what the effects are of knowing the good news and allowing it to take root in our lives. This is the movement from head to heart, from from knowing to being, from understanding to being transformed. In the earlier part of chapter 8 that Heather covered a few weeks ago, we see Paul transitioning into what many Bibles add as the title, Life Through the Spirit. It could be said that Paul has been subtle in pointing out the Holy Spirit as the solution to people's problems in the previous seven chapters, but chapter 8 marks a significant shift in Paul's language about the Spirit. He refers to the Holy Spirit some 18 times 
in this one chapter. In the opening section of the chapter, he uses the, uses the didactic method of repetition to drill into our minds that we have victory over sin in the power of the Holy Spirit. Heather did a, a great message based on the early parts of chapter 8. Today, we continue with Paul's unsubtle, overt exaltation that through the Spirit of Christ, life is never the same. He continues in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. I mean, every verse in this middle section of chapter 8 is life-giving and identity-affirming as we see a powerful flow in Paul's argument from spirit to adoption to sonship to ears. It's one of these passages we have to kind of work our way through verse by verse. So verse 14 is a strong statement of proclamation about who we are when we allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit of Christ. When we allow this, Paul affirms that we are the children of God. No ifs, no babies, nothing else to do. When we invite the Spirit of Christ to lead our lives, our identity is clear. There is nothing to live up to, no measure of success to reach, nothing to feed our insecurity. When we are led by the Spirit, we are the children of God. Is that clear enough? Paul's a straight shooter. And in speaking to all people, he's clearly saying, that we have a choice. We can either allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit or not. Those who do, well, there's something tangible to be able to anchor our lives on. In verse 15, Paul brings some depth of understanding to our identity as children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. So much richness in there. There are two big words to highlight that contribute to the cry we see at the end of this verse. It says, The Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Adoption and sonship. These two words might seem a little innocuous to us today, but they are steeped in significance in how Paul uses them. For those who were hearing these words and, and hearing his, his whole letter for the very first time. You see, the idea of adoption wasn't a concept that Jewish people understood. Adoption as we know it, just wasn't a word, it wasn't even a practice to them. So Paul is almost certainly using this image to convey the, the Greco-Roman practice whereby a man could formally confer on a child all the legal rights of a birth child. This, Paul suggests, 
is what God's Spirit confers onto every believer. The rights and privileges of being God's own children. In addition, Paul's use of sonship is not meant to exclude woman from the status that he describes. He uses the male terminology because in his culture at that time, it was usual for males both to be adopted and to stand as representative of both genders. In other words, to bring this message from Paul's culture to ours, it seems appropriate, as some Bible translations do, to use the word children instead of sons. The challenge, though, is that the word children loses an important point, as our status as sons is closely tied, Paul suggests, to Jesus' status as the Son. We are sons of God because we identify with Jesus, the Son. If we use the word children, this emphasis is somewhat lost. Maybe, though, it's balanced out by men being included in the context of the church being the bride of Christ that we see in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul then suggests that when led by the Spirit, we are children of God, adopted to sonship, we will cry, Abba, Father. Now, the word cry, crying, Abba, Father, doesn't mean lament or crying like a baby. I mean, in English, the word cry is so often connected with weeping or sadness, but that's not the meaning here. This is a cry of joy, unspeakable joy. It's the same word used when in Matthew 21, 15, children were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. They were crying with joy. Hosanna, Father, Abba, I can't believe that I'm a child of yours. That's the spirit of this cry. And the word Abba is the Aramaic word used by Jesus himself in speaking to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark 14, 36. When Paul chooses to use this Aramaic word, it isn't a Greek word. And when he does that, he's making it clear that we are being drawn into the very experience of Jesus, using the words of Jesus. The Son of God, Jesus, called his Father, Abba, Father. And that word stuck with the early church because the Holy Spirit creates the very experience of the Son of God towards his Father in our hearts. So that we are sensing the same kinship with God that the Son of God, Jesus, has as our elder brother in the family. Understanding this is what the Spirit seeks to foster in our hearts. Verse 16 affirms that. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. When we allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit, knowing that we are adopted into sonship, our spirit is unified with the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. It's a voice of recognition, a voice of affection, a voice of joy, and an inner voice that says something like this, I have God as my Father. He, is, he has paid it all for me. He's adopted me. He cares for me. He wants me. He loves me. He protects me. And as we've moved from Spirit to adopted to sonship, Paul then finishes with the greatest benefit of all. If we roll verse 16 into verse 17 at the beginning, it says this, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, 
heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So we can add to our statement, he has made me an heir of all that our father owns. God is truly my father. An heir inherits all that their father has. In the biblical sense, that is all that the kingdom of heaven could possibly be. Heaven in all of its most wildest imagination. And we inherit that for eternity. Now, can you hear through the power and the significance of Paul's carefully chosen words and descriptions? He is ablaze to the core with the Holy Spirit. The hero of the Christian life is the Holy Spirit. His full power has been unleashed, as Paul points out, by Jesus' death and resurrection. And God has given us the Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural reality made possible by Jesus' death and resurrection. It's a reality perceived by faith and received in baptism. We are justified. We are set right with God because Jesus has given us access to the full power of the Holy Spirit who gives us victory over sin and makes us ears to the kingdom of heaven. We're bringing those two big sections of chapter 8 together in that one statement. Paul is powerfully affirming that the power of the Holy Spirit is the principle of life-giving identity and purpose. You know, when we grasp that, when we understand that, that's worth celebrating. Led by the Spirit, adopted into sonship, heirs of the kingdom. Paul is driving home all that he has been writing in eight and a half previous chapters. This is good news. You know, the problem with celebrating a World Cup rugby victory or winning an ANBL title for the fourth time, like I did when I was a chaplain to the Breakers, or a win at Wimbledon, or a driver's championship, or giving a standing ovation to the most polished symphony or, or opera, or, or giving the greatest cheers at an Ed Sheeran concert. The problem with coming home from Australia after spending all that money to see Taylor Swift is that all these things are temporary. We have to start all over again, looking towards the next high or the next victory. But with God, when we inherit all that God promises, it doesn't end. What we enjoy now, led by the Spirit, knowing that we are adopted into sonship, is incredible for the here and now. It gives us purpose and security and comfort, and it gives us a peace that passes understanding. But, but the best is yet to come when we inherit everlasting life, eternity. I mean, I wonder how you express your emotion for what Paul is advocating here. Emotion should be part of any real experience of the living God. But we will express our emotions differently. Some of us are naturally expressive. And perhaps we, we raise our hands in public worship without even thinking about it. Some of you like to dance or whatever it might be. Others are less inclined to public displays of emotion. 
though moved just as much as our more outgoing brothers and sisters. But however we express them, the joy and praise that wells up within us when we appreciate our status in Christ is inevitable and it is deeply transformational. And this is what Paul is pleading with Christians in Rome to comprehend. Their divisions, their lack of unity, their trivial arguments about things that aren't eternal, all those things pale into insignificance compared to what is on offer should they allow themselves to accept salvation through faith in Jesus Christ for all people. It means that when they allow themselves to be led by the Spirit, they'll be adopted into the sonship as children of God and become heirs with Christ of the kingdom of heaven. I mean, wowza, when you hear that, I mean, that is worth showing some emotion for, right? I mean, can you imagine the crowd? Listen to this crowd going off and he's going off and we can, we can clap and we can cheer. I mean, this is something that a stadium should be full of people. The question is, do you comprehend how life life transforming this passage is? If yes, I'm sure you've got some emotion going on right now, internally or even externally. If no, all I encourage you to do is to download my notes from our website and go to the end where I've written out this passage verse by verse. And then I encourage you to read it verse by verse every morning when you wake up and every night right before you go to sleep. And simply pray, God, help your word to take root in my heart. Amen. And I'll be praying for you every morning and every night this week as I do exactly the same thing to make sure that my joy, my emotion, my gratitude for God is something that is fostered within my life. As you know, I'm a musician, so songs are one of my main ways that I express my praise, and I'm old enough to remember quite a few. For some of you, the song we're going to end with today might be new, and for others it will conjure up emotions of days gone by, as it does for me. It's a song that was written in 1738 by a hymn writer called Charles Wesley, who was one of the world's most prolific hymn writers. He wrote over six and a half thousand hymns in his lifetime. Most historians would generally agree that the song we're going to sing was his second song. Possibly his first, but most likely his second. And he wrote it days after having an emotional experience and understanding just what Christ had done for him. It's a classic Charles Wesley hymn, typical of his poetic style. As well as writing the song that we all know, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Wesley wrote this song. It's called And Can It Be. The imagery that he uses is powerful all the way through. Listen to the lyrics or read them on the screen and you'll see thoughts based on what Paul writes in these verses. And then with gusto, perhaps sing the chorus. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Now I want to encourage you to let the words of the song, let the words of the scripture dwell in your hearts and in your minds and on your lips. Allow them to take root so that the transformational power of the Spirit might lift you and encourage you 
in whatever circumstance you might be facing today or tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for these these big themes that we see in this passage in Romans. Being led by the Spirit, being adopted into sonship, so that we might be heirs of the kingdom of heaven. So significant by themselves, but combined powerful. And we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your people who over millennia have allowed these words to dwell within their hearts. And so many people, me included, would, would have testimonies of the difference that it's made in our life when we allow your spirit to lead us. So we thank you for your word. We thank you for the voice of testimony. We thank you for Charles Wesley. We thank you for so many other people that we can think of that have been impacted by your spirit. And today, might we allow that impact to continue to work its way in our lives. We lay before you our struggles, our questions, our uncertainties. We lay before you our hopes for the future, the challenges that are ahead of us. And we pray that in that space, that we might allow your spirit to to give us a, a vision of your kingdom. That we get to enjoy partly now, but as heirs of the kingdom, co-heirs with Christ, we one day will inherit for all of eternity. And so we celebrate the small victories around us in sport or in arts or wherever we might be. We clap and we cheer for things, but might our hearts be full of emotion for the eternal realities of what it is to be one of your children. Help us this week to adopt rhythms in our lives that might continue to grow within us, transform us, sustain us, know that we are loved and valued Know that we have identity with you. So we give you thanks for your presence. Give thanks for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's listen to the song, And Canopy. Let's sing together. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood Died He for me Who caused His pain For me Who Him to death pursued Amazing love How can it be That Thou my God should start
Christ bound in sin and nature's night Thine I diffused a quickening ray I woke the dungeon flame with light My chains fell off, my heart was free I rose, went forth and followed thee My chains fell Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz, and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.